coffee with a shot of cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we're going to be talking about episode 319, Keg Max. <laughs> exactly how it's written. Keg Max. No, this fucking episode title pisses me off. You know why? Because it's grammatically incorrect. Okay, well, I didn't go there. But I mean... It's not it's, really. I'm just guessing. Oh, okay, no. It's just like they ran out of ideas and they threw a bunch of words. You know those magnets? Those word magnets? Yeah. They made one for this episode and they were like, whatever sticks to the magnetic wall, that's what we're keeping. We're throwing in some exclamation points. That's it. 100% that's what happened. Because what the fuck is Keg Max? I think it's just like two two things that happen and appear in this episode. as right. a Keg and Max. So today, technically, for my episode title should be Sleep, Work, Pretty Kill, much. You know? <laughs> what the fuck? Starbucks. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> or just, you know, was alive, went to sleep, the yeah. end. Ugh, yeah, so I don't like this episode title. Do better, writers. I think it's like, out of all of the episode titles, I'm not, I can't, I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know I'm not very good at remembering episode titles, but... <laughs> I think throughout the course of the whole series, this is probably, like, one of the least creative titles. Yeah, this is probably one of the laziest ones. Yeah, for uh, sure. Season three had some doozies. In terms of episode titles? Yeah. Yeah, like, I would agree. The big one? Yeah. Or, you like, know. What the fuck? <laughs> Face off because it was at a hockey game? Oh, cool. I think the best probably out of all of them is A Tale of Pose and Fires, just because that... that yeah. Sounds what? almost fairy tale-ish. That's true. Um, I can't I can't blame them too much because it does take a while to come up with a good episode title. As you would know. As I would know, since I do all our episode titles. But Even though I give you plenty of good of good suggestions and you take almost none of them. Okay, well, I think we're using the word good in different um definitions here <laughs> okay fine okay <laughs> okay 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 yeah so i don't like this episode title let it be known what would you name it if you were if you were the sherman paladinos what would you name and i don't know if they write every episode all the yeah, time but... what shit on them is because i don't know any other writers names <laughs> <laughs> so you know sherman paladinos comma writer's room of gilmore girls from 2003 what would you what would you have named this episode? Um, I don't know. I don't like know. A keg and a max, or? <laughs> no. A keg and a max. <laughs> Who's a max? Uh, yeah, no, I, don't, okay. I don't got, I got nothing. Okay, well, I also have a problem with, like, the max storyline, which we're going to get into. Um, it's just, ugh, the fact that they made it such a central part of this whole thing. Like, they put him in the episode title? Mm-hmm. Is he that important, really? Looking back, not at all. Exactly. Um, oh, I just got an email from my doctor. Oh, wonderful. A little off topic, but wonderful. Oh, sorry, it just popped up on my screen. <laughs> oh, no. In other news, dear audience, you're experiencing an email from Melanie's doctor in real time. Let's listen in. Okay, well, you want to listen in? <laughs> Oh, Jesus. I have to go get a... Oh, God. So you're not a girl. I'm not. So you don't know the death that is going to get a pap smear. I don't. Okay. 
My sympathies are with you, though. What? My sympathies are with you. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, so I just got an email from my doctor saying I have to go get a pap smear. And guess what the date is? Uh, I don't want to guess. What is it? It's fucking election day 2020. (laughs) Oh, great. That's just, like, a wonderful piece to to resist off of this year. Yeah, as if I'm not going to be anxious enough on election day, I'm going to have to go spread my legs for a stranger. That makes me sound like a whore. I'm very sorry. (laughs) 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 Happy 2020 to you. Oh, my God. 2020 has been a shit show for a lot of reasons, one of which is because I cannot spell my name properly. That. Um, That's the main one, I think. (laughs) There's just, you know... Out of everything that's happened, I think that's probably the most entertaining. It's the most entertaining, but it's also one of those things, you know, where you're, you're like, having a bad day, mm-hmm. and one little thing can ruin it. Like, you've been holding it together for so long, and one little thing, like, you drop something, and you're like, oh, my life. That's me every single day. Okay, uh, well, that's also me every single day, but you know, like, 2020 is that bad mood? Yes, exactly. And then I can't smell my own name, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> Anyway, me and Akeni are going to be continuing on <laughs> with our Gilmore Girls discussion. Okay, forget I said anything about the past neighbor. That's hilarious. I'm going to have to change that date. Too late. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's move on. Um, in the opening scene of this episode, the gals don't know what to do with their first free Friday night in three years. And I have some thoughts about that. Tell me. Not so much about what them just sitting alone i think it's my, I, what i take issue more with is um how rory just disregards lorelei's f- current fight with them and is like well i i'm gonna call them you know it feels weird not to not to talk to them i'm gonna visit them and to me just when i was watching it this time it felt weird that if like my for example if my mom was feuding with my grandparents or like a relative like it would feel weird i feel uncomfortable talking to them alone is that just me like I would kind of feel not obligated to take my mom's side but to kind of at least be on her side do you know what I mean um I know what you mean but I think the reason this is different is because I think it's safe to say that Rory knows her mom's a baby yeah especially like so the whole conversation surrounding what the Gilmores are doing on this Friday night is really annoying to me Mm -hmm. because Laura was like, oh, they're probably sitting alone with one light bulb to light everything up. And they're saying blast. Like, you know, like she paints this pitiful picture as if her parents didn't have a life before Rory and Lorelai came into their lives. Yeah. You know, so the whole conversation to me is a little bit odd because I understand Rory wanting like she feels weird. They're not going over. So she wants to call them. Um, And her mom's being a baby. And I don't know. The whole conversation was just very annoying to me. Yeah, so Lorelai is for sure being a baby. That's like a given. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also just say that I think it's kind of sad that as a like Lorelai, Lorelai is Lorelai is still uh, a mother, and Rory is still the child. So I would. It's just kind of sad to to see that the child knows how much of a baby her parent is, and like, well, is is willing to just go over that and not you know take it take like not take her mother's feelings into consideration because her mother's feelings are stupid you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. Did, I lose, did I lose you there? No, it's not that you lost me. It's just I have a hard time having sympathy for Lorelai, especially after she's saying like, oh, well, next Friday we have to do something better to beat them. We're going to win. It's not a fucking game. No. So I'll rephrase. I don't necessarily feel bad for Lorelai. I feel bad for Rory because... Oh, okay, that I get. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for Rory, not because she's like put in the middle or anything, but I feel bad because um, like as the child, it's shitty that like you know your you know your mother is so immature and does this crap all the time that you then will just say, well, I'm going to call him anyway. Like, for me, I think it would be easier to, like, have the security and peace of mind that what my mother says and does is uh, adult and mature. Right. No, I get it. So when, you're, when you say that you would take your mother's side if she was, like, let's say feud, feuding with somebody, mm-hmm. I think it would be easier to do that in your case. Oh, for sure, because my mother is not as much of a child as Lorelai is. Well, that's the thing, you know, um, listen, there have certainly been times when I've called my mother a baby. Oh, me too. (laughs) And I think, yeah, let's be honest. And I think we've talked before about how my grandmother can hold a grudge like nobody's business. Yeah. Like, my grandmother's been divorced for over 50 years, and she's still like, that motherfucker. And I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) get over it. You're both, like, half dead. Like, (laughs) what I mean? Like, it's just... But yeah, no, I definitely think I understand what you're saying. It's easier. It would be easier to take your mother's side if she wasn't such a baby like Lorelai is being now, right? Yeah. And so the thing is also, it doesn't, um, you know, this whole dynamic that Rory and Lorelai have of, um, you know, being best friends more than mother and daughter. Yeah. I think in scenes like this, it's really awkward mm-hmm. because when, let's say when my mother, my, my, my mother and my grandmother have gotten into a fight before, like my mom and my dad's, my mother and my dad's mother. <laughs> so my yeah. paternal grandmother. Um, but my mother has always been like, yeah, of course you can call your mother. Like you can call your grandmother. Did you call your grandmother? How's your grandmother? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the maturity level is there. Exactly. With Lorelai, because I think she's so, like, hell-bent on being her, her daughter's best friend. And that's not the driving force here. Mm-hmm. But she's definitely, like, you definitely see that um, that friendship more than that mother-daughter relationship here. Does that make sense? Yeah, because she's like, oh, you're calling them? Aren't you on my side? Ugh, yeah, like, it's such a, like, juvenile thing to say. Yeah, you know? like, if you were an actual mature adult, you'd say, of course, they're your grandparents. And she and Lorelai does say that in other contexts. But, like, this yeah. scene, this Friday night, she's like, oh, we have to do something. We should be out partying with our homies. Like, you don't have homies. Like, fuck off. No. And I and I agree with what you said. Like, we see, we see instances where Lorelai is very much like, oh, of course. Even with Christopher, he's like, she's, he's your father. I'm never going to tell you to not see your father. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um... We've seen that Lorelai can show that kind of maturity, but for some reason where her parents are concerned, in this case, she always seems a little bit petty. And I think, would could you say maybe that the reason why that um, kind of green-eyed monster, that, you know, devil comes out, that demon comes out, I should say, mm-hmm. when, in, in regards to her parents, because... Um, you know, she still has all of these unresolved issues with her parents, you know, surrounding getting pregnant as a teenager and running away from their life and their expectations that she herself is not really over that. So anytime that 
something like this happens, it takes her back to the mindset of that scared 16-year-old girl who ran away. Yeah, so I think going back to last episode, I think we both talked about how it was how she went about telling her parents that she was paying them back the money was all wrong, right? Yeah. Um, but Emily's reaction didn't help. No. I think for as long as we can remember, Lorelai has just wanted her parents to listen to her and take her opinion into account. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her mother kind of dismissed her and said like, oh, well, you, you, you got your wish. You never have to come over here. I'm going to bed. No, no, no. Like, that was the same reaction. That dismissive reaction was the same one she got when she told her she was pregnant or when she didn't have the money for uh, Rory's school. Like, it's a, it's a pattern, right? Yeah. So I think the pettiness and the bitterness comes out because um, time and time again, Lorelai has seen that her parents aren't able to give her what she needs. Mm-hmm. So it just, like you said, takes her back to when she was young. Um, exactly. And in her eyes, how she, in her parents' eyes, how she can do nothing right by them, you know? Like, she tried to be responsible, pay them back the money, like she said she was going to do from the beginning. Okay, fine, her delivery was off. But, you know, her mother still freaked out. So yeah. I think for her, she's holding on to this, like, why do I even bother? They're never going to change kind of thing, you know? And the word for that, ladies and gentlemen, is trauma. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, can we talk about the word trauma for a little bit? Please. Because I think that people, when we hear trauma, have this image of, like, bombs going off in the background and, like, something really horrific happening, you know? Like like PTSD kind of yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. And not to just, um, not to disregard that, but trauma can come in all kinds of different forms. Yeah. Um... So when we say that Lorelai has some, like, unresolved trauma mm-hmm. and people cough because they're like, well, what trauma? She grew up in a very rich house. She had whatever she needed. No, no, no. It's like, no, trauma goes deeper than that sometimes, right? I think all the time I think trauma goes deeper than anybody realizes. Like, even when something mildly traumatic happens to you, you kind of, unless you really, like, openly discuss and deal with it, Soon after it happens, it kind of get, gets beneath your skin in a way you don't realize until much later. Oh, for sure. But I'm just saying in terms of what we think of as a society when we talk about trauma, there's still around a lot of stigma surrounding that word. Yeah, where, for sure. where people think like, oh, I've been through a trauma. And you're like, what kind of trauma? Like what people start thinking the worst right away. You know what I mean? Yeah. The example that I have for that is when I first started going to therapy, um, they made me fill out a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And they're like, list all the traumas that you've gone through or something that's, like that. That's how they break it, you know? What? That's weird. A lot of them do it now. It's like an intake form, but whatever. Like, I don't, I'm not, not, not the questionnaire part is weird. I just think the way, the way that they would word, just list your trauma. Like, like, I, do you have all day? I need another, I need another piece of paper. If oh, you yeah, for list. sure. But I mean, like, um, I started, like, started, I was filling out this form and they're like, list your traumas. And I'm like, all right, I, the only trauma really that I ever thought of was the fact that I was really young when my father passed away. Yeah. And then as you start talking to the therapist, they're like, well, that's a trauma or this is a trauma. Yeah. Like, you know, your parents getting divorced. So that's a trauma. And I'm like, what the fuck? All these things are trauma. <laughs> I've been traumatized all my life. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Cause you, cause you don't think of it that way. Cause you think like, Oh, you know, could be worse. Like we're just going to, you know, power through and move on and, try to 
you know, put a Band-Aid on it or any other well, cliches funny. you can think of. Exactly. That's, that's the way we're conditioned to think about it, right? We're always taught that it could be worse. You're fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, I talk about how when we first um, moved in with my grandmother after my parents got divorced, my brother, my mother, and I used to share a bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that with my therapist. She's like, well, that could be a trauma. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's for sure a trauma. I'm not even a therapist. I'm like, that's definitely traumatic. You know what I mean? So, like, it's things that you don't think about because you've been taught not to think about them in that in that light, right? Exactly. So, um, so I just want to kind of be careful when we talk about things like this. And I know it's a show. It's not that deep. But when we try and get to the crux of the character sometimes... It's really easy to write off a character as being juvenile and selfish and whatever mm-hmm. when you don't think about um, their life experiences in terms of traumas, right? I think it's funny you say that because I, I think it is in terms of Lorelai and her parents, I think it is that deep because of mm-hmm. the, way, the way that I've always seen it is that Lorelai is this, you know, sarcastic, witty um, person and fun-loving woman because she's, you know, faced a lot of trauma in her short life. Like, she's not very old, and, you know, had a, like, <laughs> having a child at 16, that's a trauma. Like, the yeah. way that you ran away and, you know, had Maybe. to finish high school on your own and get a job as, as a maid and lived in a tool shed. Like, trauma, trauma, trauma. Yeah, but you block it out, right? You don't think of it as trauma. No, and you won't deal with it later, and that's why it comes out in places like therapy where you're like, uh, that's a trauma. So I would argue that Lorelai never deals with it, even when she goes into therapy. No, even in a year in the life, they just sit in silence. Yeah, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> it's funny that you're bringing up, that you're bringing up uh, you know, past trauma, because on Monday, I was cleaning out my bedroom closet for the first time in a good 15 years, maybe even longer. <laughs> Found some, like, baby wallpaper at the back of that thing. Like, very long time since I cleaned out the closet. Yeah. Um, found like shoe boxes filled with just nonsense that I insisted on keeping when I was younger. Like I loved rocks. I loved collecting rocks when I was younger and everyone thought I was going to be a geologist, but me and science don't get along. So that was never a possibility. For sure. <laughs> so found boxes of rocks, bags of rocks, like just a mess. But I also found like these old photo albums that I had made, not even like my mom or my dad's photo albums. I, these are like albums that I had made when I was in elementary school, I think, of pictures that I had taken every summer that we would go to my aunt's cottage with my cut with my three cousins. And um, that was certainly a trauma because the way that that um, relationship ended was less than pleasant. Like my aunt ended up getting sick with breast cancer and passed away. And then, as I've mentioned before in previous episodes, my mom um, ended up living part-time with my cousins for about three years. And it ended with one of my cousins suing my mom for mismanaging the, the funds of my aunt's estate. And that was pretty much the cause of the whole falling out. And it's been about 10 years since I was last at the cottage. But when I was younger, it was like part of my, like a central part of my world, I guess. So, you know, we would always go there in the summer. So I found this photo and I'm like, okay, recycling. We're not looking under that rock today. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how trauma comes up too you can go like years without thinking of these things and the tiniest like the tiniest thing can set you off right of course and of course it's gonna happen when you clean out your freaking bedroom closet like why was i surprised that i found this photo album that i blocked what? from memory yeah no, it's it's crazy how that happens 
So moral of the story for both of us is trauma is real and you need to address it before it gets worse. Yeah, okay. Because it really, it re- will really ricochet and, and cause adverse effects in ways you don't even realize it's until you true. actually start talking about it. So. It's really true. <laughs> you, can, you can go years and be like, why do I react this way? And then a qualified therapist tells you why. <laughs> yep. All right, let's move on. Um, uh, Lorelai is taking pictures of everyone in the diner. <laughs> Which is, wanna... you know, on yeah. brand for her. Yeah, seriously. But this is a very inconsequential scene. But the reason I want to bring it up is because she takes a picture of Luke. And they're like, oh, my God, you don't photograph well. (laughs) And I would like to argue that Scott Patterson does not photograph well either. I know you're going to say that. Like, you're going to talk about how he looks like a testicle now? No, relax. I wasn't going to say that. (laughs) But a couple weeks ago, he did, like, a live video. And I screenshot it and sent it to Jeffrey. And I was feeling particularly sassy that day. And uh, I was like, the audacity of this man to call Lauren Graham ugly when he looks like a swollen testicle sack. I mean, you weren't wrong. I wasn't, but I was feeling particularly mean that day. And I think we can all agree that Scott Patterson has not aged well. I don't think so. And then it brings me to this. I wanted to ask you, do you think in the original show that Luke is attractive? I'm surprised we have never brought this up before. So... I thought he was attractive in, like, the first few episodes of season one. Like, when he was, like, super... Like, they had him in, like, tighter clothes, I found. To, tighter like, clothes? And he looked... No, he, he, he looked kind of, like, more buff in season one. And he had more scruff. And he just he, he had a bit of, bit of a better image, I find, mm-hmm. with the backwards cap. And then it kind of just got too complacent. So, like, by season two, season three, I'm like, no. But like, so in answer to your question in season one, yes, I thought he was attractive. Okay, so by season two and three, I'm like, okay, we get it. He wears flannel. He doesn't go anywhere. Like, I get it. Exactly. I like, get it, got, it. it got way too complacent and just was boring. And then, like, on special occasions, he'll wear a sweater. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, I and I get that he works in a diner and whatever. Like, it's his uni- uniform. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's his signature look. But I was just like, we get it. We get yeah, it. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I can definitely see how he could be attractive when he when he tries a little. I yeah, I mean, and I don't know if that was the point of the show to like, you know, sometimes they like do a she's all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a reverse she's all that with like he's all that. <laughs> you know, like once you put him in fancy clothes, oh my god, his face. Yeah. I think they tried, and same thing with the flannel, it just got boring. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, Luke, wee, like, nothing nothing to shake a stick at, like I'll say. Yeah, no, I get it. But I was just like, mm, I can see the personality-wise why he'd be, he's a sweetheart, you know what I mean? But, like, I get it with the flannel. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's why I wanted to bring that up. Um, so then there's the scene where Jess and Rory are hanging out with the band. Which is also a very cute Jess and Rory scene, I have to say. Yeah, so it's the first time we kind of see Jess interacting with other people. And he's uncomfortable. uh, Here's the thing. He's uncomfortable, but he does it anyways. And I think he ends up having fun, dare I say. Yeah, and I can say, I don't know. I won't speak for everybody, but tell me if, if you agree. Like, I see a bit of, like, introvert uncomfortable in his eyes. So, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I don't think. Okay. So I was going to say 
I don't think Jeff doesn't like hang out with other people because he doesn't like other people and like he's brooding and whatever. I think it's really a matter of being um, introverted. Yeah, Jeff is 100% an introvert. Yeah, like he just prefers the company. He gets what I like to call socially depleted. Yes, exactly. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, um, because we are both. Any extroverts listening, please be open minded. Yeah. Um, we're not like you, okay? <laughs> no, we're not. We need a break sometimes. <laughs> and being introverted is different than being shy. Yes. So Jess is definitely not shy. He speaks no. his mind, he speaks to people, he he participates, whatever. It's not about being shy. It's just about feeling drained mm-hmm. when you have to interact a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, am I explaining that right? I don't know if I'm explaining that right. No, I think for a rudimentary understanding, it's definitely just feeling, feeling drained after too much interaction. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it's a muscle that we need to rest a lot. Yeah. Like I need a break. I, I'm not one of those people that can go out for like six hours at a time. No, I'm more, so the difference, the key difference, and there is many, but one of the key differences between introverts and extroverts is that extroverts are energized by interaction, whereas introverts yes. are depleted from it. Yes. Like, I'm not Cinderella. <laughs> no, yeah, I am. I'd like, to, I'd like to be. Those, I, mean, meant, I am Cinderella. I'm not Cinderella. I am Cinderella. <laughs> I have a time limit. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like midnight. I turn into an antisocial pumpkin. <laughs> That's a good analogy. I like that. Speaking of Cinderella and, uh, you know, introverts turning into pumpkins at midnight, have you yeah. ever seen this, the meme that it was very popular a, a few years ago that was made from the Disney animated Cinderella where the prince, where she's like getting up to leave and run away because almost midnight. Yeah, and he's saying, wait, you can't go. And she, it's just the like a still of her turning around with her hands in the air and she's saying, listen, I can do whatever the fuck I want. She's like, yeah, first of all, I can do whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) And I like it and I still see it sometimes on Tumblr because it's just that Cinderella, I think, has gotten a very bad reputation as a story about a damsel in distress who needs to be rescued. And there's been many versions that have reversed that theme and just so you know. So let's be honest. A lot of early Disney movies um, stick to that storyline. Yeah, and like I think just the issue with you know the Disney animated versions from the fifties is that it just it just never went any deeper to address those themes because they weren't really a, a, a concern back then. Mm-hmm. So I just I like that meme in particular because I think Cinderella just gets this cultural reputation as being a damsel in distress who needs to be rescued from the tower kind of thing. So yeah. I think it's, it's refreshing to see the meme that says, listen, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Exactly. Ladies, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Introverts too. Leave if you want to leave. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. We, we've said it before in the podcast, but I always tell Jeffrey, I'm like, I'm so glad I got my own car because I'm like, I'm out. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, I can't sometimes. Um, so yeah, I have a clock ticking. <laughs> And it's also um, refreshing as you get older as Andrew, I find, because like you kind of start to align yourself with people who understand, not only who understand, but who also are more or less similar. Yeah. Like you and I are similar. So like I would never expect like an all night party with you no. kind of thing, you know? No, no. So and that, 
being said, if Jeffrey were to tell me, like, I'm good, I'm going to go home, I would completely understand. Yeah. Also, as you get older, it's also refreshing to have your friends understand. So even if you do have extroverted friends. They understand. I have a few. Mm -hmm. I have an understanding with these friends where I'm like, I'm not up for it. I'm not feeling it. I'm going home kind of thing. And they don't give me a hard time. Yeah. So that's also really important. Know your friend's limits, guys. <laughs> yes. Extroverts, um, you know, not, not understanding it is not one thing that I miss from yeah. the pandemic. But that being said, even though we're introverts and we like to, um, you know, we like to recharge our batteries at home, mm -hmm. doesn't mean this pandemic hasn't been hard on us. That's a whole other ball game. Yeah, we've said it before and we won't touch on it now, but we've um, we've talked about that before. I'll, I won't of, say anything. And speaking of memes, though, there's also one that I've seen regarding like the pandemic and how it's affected introverts and extroverts. Maybe you've seen it. It was Probably. going around um at the start of September with school starting again like mm -hmm. public school I guess where it's like the teacher says write an essay about how this pandemic has has affected you and it shows like the extroverts with a giant like dictionary size book and then the introverts with like a single sheet of paper I'm like that's toxic and very misrepresentative uh, misrepresentative of introverts yes for sure um, I would like to now talk about this book called Quiet. Ah, uh, yes. You read it, right? The Yeah, the one by Susan Cain. Uh, is it by Susan Cain? I believe so. If, it, if we're talking about the same one, the one about yeah, the introvert Yeah, you're right. Uh, the Power of Introverts, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it's called The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Yes. Uh, I've read sections of it for one of my psychology classes. It's very, very good. Yes, I, read, I think you. I think it was you who might have recommended it to me the first time, and then I and then I found it at the library and I read the whole probably thing. Probably because I, I uh, we got the recommendation while I was in grad school doing my um, my psychology of information class, and the professor was really he was very introverted, and yeah. um, the whole thing started with this conversation about how the world is made for extroverts. Mm -hmm. So um, even the way offices are set up and the way schools are set up about like how like open concept and like group work and all this stuff. And like we're starting now to take notice of introverts and the power yeah. that they have in the world. So I highly recommend you read it. Um, OK, so in the scene where Jess and Rory are hanging out with the band, Jess, uh, well, no, Rory tells him that they're going to prom, right, because Lane and Rory have had a plan forever to go to prom together. And Jess is like, yep, I'm going to get the tickets this week. And this is a little thing, but I think it's really significant. Rory tells him, you know, you have to wear a tux, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, you know, I get it. James Bond wears a tux. It's fine. Do you remember the fit that Dean threw when he had to wear a fucking tux? I'm so glad you brought this up because that's exactly what I wrote down in my notes. Oh my god. Do you remember that fit? And it was it was like I don't even think fit is the right word. It was like a hissy fit times twelve. He said that she owes him monster trucks. Oh. Are you a grown ass man? Dean voted for Trump, let's just say that. <laughs> like, no, sorry. We're not mm -hmm. talking about that, but I mean, like, really, really. 
So I, I often feel like Jess gets a bad rap because, and we can talk about Jess's bad rap in this episode for sure, but Jess often gets a bad rap because he is unwilling to, to do certain things of Rory's, for example. Yeah. Like a lot of people always say, well, Dean like went to her coming out party. Jess never would have done that. And I think that's false. <laughs> so I think there's a difference in that. Um, I think I've already made clear that Dean and Jess are not comparable. And I think that's why we always run into issues because they're just not the same. Yeah. In nature, I mean, they're not the same at all. But, like, maybe if the like the circumstances were different, Jess would have gone to the coming out party. Like, it would have probably would have taken convincing. But let's say, hypothetically, they had been together as long as Dean and Rory had been at the time of the coming out party. Like, maybe I could see seen that happening. But, like, now in season three, when they've only been together as long as they were, like, I don't think it would have gone over as well. But I think yeah. if... If I think if Jess and Rory had been given the opportunity to grow and flourish, like Dean and Rory at least were given, mm-hmm. then it would have been a different world, shall we say. No, I completely agree. Um, it's just something that I wanted to point out because I think um, a lot of people shit on Jess, especially in the earlier days and um, when they first start dating. Because he's like, Rory, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to the carnival. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, number one, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's introverted. Yeah. And that he's willing to do certain things for Rory, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that makes him a bad boyfriend. I just think that's him being a human being, right? Yeah. And, like, this the, the age-old argument of oh, well, Dean was a better boyfriend for X, Y, Z, and the show and the dialogue, even in certain episodes of season three, like I've said, work overtime to make make you make these comparisons, mm-hmm. which are not, they're just not the same. Like Dean, Dean, and, Dean and Jess are just not the same, so stop comparing them. Exactly. But I think it's just that, you know, if Jess and Rory had been given the same amount of time that Dean and Rory had mm-hmm. in terms of the like the relationship length, then it, I think Jess would have grown in ways we would have appreciated and seen. Dean didn't grow at all. Dean was just the same, you know, dick he's always been. But Dean was I would I'll have to I have to say this. Dean was very stuck in his ways. Exactly. exactly. So even when they get back together in season five, you can tell like he still has a hard time with her being successful and being in a in an Ivy League school um, and having to write and work and not being able to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, he still wants to know where she is, what she's doing, blah blah blah. Whereas I think even in the short amount of time that Dean, uh, that sorry, that Jess and Rory were together, you see that growth. Yeah, and it kind of makes you think of what would have, what what could have been if they had been given the same chance that Dean and Rory had. And I think it's just because it's so brief and it gets glossed over so much in the grand scheme of the show. Like, Jess and Rory were together for, like, a such a small blip in mm-hmm. the context of the whole show, whereas... about it, they got together episode 9, mm-hmm. and this is episode 19. Yeah. Right? So, like, sorry, episode 7? Uh, well, I guess officially 7. Anyways, you get it. Like, it's not... We had two and a half seasons of Rory and Dean. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? So, of course, you're going to see less growth there, but it's the potential is there, shall we say. Yeah, and I think that's what people, like, glom onto is because there's so much potential in Jess and Rory that wasn't there in Dean and Rory, and that's why the fan base just gets so aggravated because they deserve better, sweeties. Yeah, so here's the thing. I have a theory that the reason people are so team Jess Mm-hmm. Is because we got two and a half seasons of Rory Dean, and it wasn't going anywhere. No. Then we got Jess, and we saw the potential, and we're like, oh, what could have been? Exactly. Then she gets back together with Dean, and it's the same old shit. Like, what, where is this going? Nowhere. So we got fed up. And then you had three seasons of her and Logan, and then a year in the life. Mm-hmm. And even if you are kind of Team Logan, you're like, okay, I get it. It's been, like... They've been together. It's it's done, you know? Yeah. I think the reason people are Team Jess is because we got, like, the briefest glimpse of, like, oh, and then we just wanted to know. You know what yeah. I mean? So maybe people, maybe less people would be on Team Jess if we had had two, three seasons of them together. But all we had was ten episodes and a little glimpse of what could have been. I think that that's the, I think, honestly, that is the main issue. I think people are Team Jess. Because they never got to see closure. Mm-hmm. He just leaves. He, she says, I think I could have loved you. Well, we're going to get to that. But I mean, like, he comes <laughs> back, he leaves, he comes back. You know, we never get a full freaking... <laughs> no, and even in season six, it's still pretty open-ended. It's still pretty open-ended. So I think that's why a lot of people are Team Jess. is because there's so much potential there, and they didn't know what to do with it. They squandered it. And what I, would, what I wouldn't give to see Jess and Roy go to prom together, like, for real... Uh, I know, but, you know, too bad. Uh, so, Jess finds out that he can't go to the prom because he has to repeat senior year because he flunked out. Yeah. And I have a question. The principal says he has 31 absences. Mm-hmm. So, 31 absences is about, he missed six weeks of school, right? Yeah. You're telling me he can't catch up? Or, like, I think they're just done giving him second chances. Yeah, I get it. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, six For weeks. sure. In the grand scheme of things, I think if it were a different student, they would have, you know, given some allowances or allowed him the opportunity to catch up or go to summer school, like he said. But, no, they were like, screw him. We've given him so many chances. It's either take the year over or nothing. Yeah. And I think I think a part of it, I'm not going to lie, is um, because of the reputation that Jess has. Yeah, for sure. So the reputation as this, like, asshole kid around town, I think that followed him to school. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like you said, like, 31 absences, let him go to summer school. Like, yo, <laughs> it's fine. I also don't doubt that Jess was a dick to everyone in the school. So. Oh, 100%. He did not want to be there, guys. He did not want to be there. He came back for Rory and Rory alone. He didn't want to be there. Yeah. But the fact that he gets so upset that he can't graduate high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think Do you think it's because he can't graduate high school? Do you think that it's because he's thinking to himself, fuck, I have to take the year over. I have to, I have to come back to Stars Hall. Like, what do you think is the thing that's most upsetting to him? Honestly... And I think I think of this more every time that I watch this episode is I think what 
he's really grappling with on top of a lot of other issues underneath. Yeah. He, I think he's worried Roy will think less of him. Yeah. Just because we know that, um, you know, in the end of season three, she says to him, you know, on the phone to silence that um, you could have let me, like, you could have told me I could have helped you. Like, we all know that Rory would have helped and would have, you know, been there for him if he had communicated and said something. Yeah. But in Jess's mind, I think he was obviously dealing with, I think, some masculinity issues in terms of this is, I have to be this role and I'm not fulfilling this role. And that's, this, this is the only role I can have. And then on the top of all of that, I've, and I wrote this down in my notes because I didn't want to forget it. Um, Jess didn't have the right support system to succeed in this scenario. Right. Because you said you said it. He only came back to Stars Hollow for Rory. Didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. But Luke didn't also make it very easy. I'm not going to say it, he made it hard, but he also didn't make it easy because there was times where obviously Luke showed that he cared about him. But it was like you can't. You you're gonna live here. You're gonna go to school. You're gonna graduate. There was like no room for. I'm not gonna say mistakes, but like no room for love, support, and understanding of what he's going through and like what's holding him back. Kind of like what oh. what are the things that are preventing him from succeeding? And those things were never really addressed because going back to masculinity, like Jess and Luke, not really good at talking about their feelings because they're men. Yeah, so not only that, not only does Luke have a problem, Luke and Jess both, but not only does Luke have a problem um, communicating those feelings, um, but it's also as if when Jess came back, when he's like, you live here, there are rules, you go to school, you work, like blah, blah, blah. And it's as if you're telling him now that my love is conditional. Mm -hmm. You know, it's as if you're saying, like, this is the only way you can stay here in a loving, supportive environment or as much as as much as one of, as I can give you. Yeah. Sure of a lot better than his mother's. Right. Who doesn't mm-hmm. even care. But I mean, you can only say you can only stay in this safe space if you abide by my rules. Exactly. And as if you're saying, like, if not, fuck you, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially what happened. Right. Because we're going to talk about it. next. And it's not that Luke. Um, like we're, we're we're by no means calling Luke a bad guy, but we've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. Luke is not equipped to deal with a child. No, well, a grown child. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't like the term damaged goods, but I think that Jess, in the way that Luke received him, like there was only there was only so much that Luke could do, and what Luke was offering was not enough. Exactly. And I actually want to bring up um, something that our friend Michelle sent us in an email in her thoughts on one of our last podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. And she said, on the idea of his support system or lack thereof, I absolutely hate the way the show glosses over Liz. They only show her as a flighty person who annoys Luke. There's so much backstory there for her relationship with Jess and Luke, too. She hurt them both so much. Jess harbors so much pain about Liz. And I think that many of his reactions were were 100% justified when it comes to her. I guess Gilmore Girls is a dramedy, so nothing too deep or dark, but I would have loved to see more of Jess's backstory. And I think they try to do a bit of backstory, at least with his father at the end of season three, but I don't think it's enough to really make the case for why Jess reacted the way he did and why he couldn't succeed 
in the environment in which we met him? Yeah, so the, oh, there's so many things I want to say, but I don't know if I should leave them for next episode. (laughs) Because next episode, the only thing I'll say is next episode is the only real, no, sorry, it's not even next episode, it's in two episodes. Anyways, the next couple of episodes, I'll, I'll say, are the only time that we really see an emotional part of Jess. Um, a different side of him where he's not trying to... Some might say that we saw this in this episode too. But it's the only time we really see him reacting and not trying to hold everything in. Yeah. So we saw a little bit about that at of that at the party where he gets really frustrated with Rory because he just has all these emotions. He knows he's not graduating and it turns into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the whole th- the, the way this was all the way Jer- Jess's character was handled for me mm-hmm. is just really sad. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's complete. Yeah. It's incomplete. And you just, you, it makes you sad. I think, as you rewatch more as you grow up, because you realize that, like, you know, being young is hard, and more so for, other, for some than others, you know? And Jess just didn't have what he needed. I think yeah, that's just that's the, fact think- that, the fact of the matter is he just didn't have what he needed. That's it. He didn't have the tools to kind of have a, um, a good upbringing, shall we say. Yes, the tools. And I think that also plays into why a lot of people are team Jess. Because... I think, you re- I think you realize... Like, you realize the fact that he lacks so much, those lacks the tools, lacks all these parts of him. And I think you realize that more as you grow up and, you, and you're still rewatching Gilmore Girls. And you're like, you know what? No, I see it now. And I, and I sympathize with that more so than Dean or Logan. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I think there's another reason why people kind of gravitate towards Jess and become Team Jess is because you realize that, um, yes, he was flawed. But it's because now you, as a viewer, have the tools to kind of realize why. Exactly. <laughs> and you, you can sympathize a little bit more, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can do that to a lesser extent, I would argue, with Logan. And you can't do it at all with Dean. because, But that's not his fault. Because we don't get to see, like, his, his, his family life, whatever, you know? But even I find if, even all- if we did, he's still a dick. Like, okay, I don't really well, care about I find that of all the boyfriends, out of all the characters, you can do it the most with Jess. Yeah. You feel the most sympathy and empathy for Jess. For sure. You know? So I think that's why a lot of people kind of, as you grow up and you continue to watch the show, you, you're like, oh, I get it now. It wasn't really his fault, poor guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then you think of all the things that were standing in his way mm-hmm. and that came between him and Rory and how he just didn't have the tools to kind of verbalize how he felt. And you're like, oh, what could have been if you didn't have such a shitty upbringing? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the party. The party. The party and the reason why Jess gets such a bad rap. Like, Um, I have a lot of feelings about this. So you go first. Okay, so I'm going to set the scene. (laughs) Jess has just found out he's not graduating. He has to go to the party with Rory. They get there early. He's not in the mood to be around anyone. No. Um, because he's dealing with something major. Would you be? Would you be in the mood for a party after that? No, but the thing is, um, I would at least tell my girlfriend, yo, <laughs> I'm not feeling like going to this party right now. 
and here's why. But yeah. that's not how Jess is wired, right? No. And even if I didn't tell her, I would still maybe say this party is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> because you know that anger is just like simmering inside of him, right? Mm-hmm. He's an angry kid. He has every right to be, but you know, he's angry. Mm-hmm. So he disappears at the party. Young Chu says he went upstairs. Rory follows him upstairs and um, she, well, they start making out on the bed and then he starts to unbutton her pants and she freaks out. And she's like, how did you think it was going to happen like this? It's obviously not going to happen like this. And he snaps at her and he says, I didn't want you here. Why did you come up here? And she starts crying. And scene. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, I think the, obviously, part of the reason why Jess haters, naysayers, um, attack him and say he's not perfect, first of all, I don't. I think most members of Team Jess would agree that we never once said that he was perfect. We just, we just love him despite his imperfections. Mm-hmm. And we have, and like you said, we have sympathy and empathy for his imperfections as we as we grow up more and can you know visualize how hard and traumatic that must be. Okay. Um. So what the naysayers usually center in on swarm is that he doesn't understand consent. And yes, it's a very sticky situation where, you know, the teenage boy is trying to deal with his angst and feelings and trauma by forcing himself on his girlfriend. Uh But I don't think, I think it's not as deep as, you know, not understanding consent. Like, yes, it's, it's, you know, cringy and, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen? Because you can see he's like, you know, you can see where Jazz is going with this when they're making out on the bed. Yeah. But at the same time, I think Rory is kind of rational about it because she's like, no. And she like she gets up and she's like, not here, not now. And she, and she only gets upset when he starts yelling. Like, he, she's not upset that he, quote unquote, forced himself on her. She I was like, she's a little bit upset. But I think the upset comes from the fact that she's a little bit confused also. Yeah, and I think been in a shitty mood all night, and now all of a sudden you want to have sex in a random person's bedroom. I think it's more confusion than anything else. Yeah. Okay. I would. Yes, I would agree with that. She's definitely confused. I just think that out of all of the things that are going on, it's just unfortunate that you have to focus in on like, oh, he forced himself on her. Like, I think we all can see. We've discussed the psychology of Jess backwards and forwards a hundred times. That a lot, a lot more was going on there besides him just forcing himself on her. Yeah. So here's what I'll say: when they get on the bed, mm-hmm. Rory is very much into the makeout session. Yes. And then when they get horizontal on the bed, there are two instances where Rory says, first she says his name. Mm-hmm. But she still continues to kiss him. And then when he goes for her pants, she gets up and says, uh, I think she says no or something like that. Yeah. And he gets frustrated and says, oh, geez, like whatever, you know? Yeah. So number one, um, dick move. Yes, for sure. So I understand that maybe it was Jess's only way of getting comfort in that. um, Like, I think honestly, in his head, he just needed somebody at that yeah. point, but because yes. he doesn't know how to verbalize what he's feeling, that's the only way you have to assume that 
sex is pretty much the only way he's he's known how to um, be close with somebody, let's say. Yeah. yeah. Um, because nothing about his backstory or his character can lead us to believe that he's gotten comfort from anyone else. Mm-hmm. But we are made to believe that he's a little bit more experienced. So maybe in my head, maybe like the only way he can get close to somebody is by having sex with them. Yeah. Um, so Rory comes to find him. He's upset. She's comforting him. And then like he needs comfort in a different form. So he pushes it a little too far. Yes, for sure. He... I'll, I will, you know, rephrase what I was what I was saying, and I'll I will agree that he definitely went too far, and it was definitely a dick move to, you know, deal with your feelings in that way. Yeah. Um. I just I just think that people obviously pounce on the fact that he forced himself on her, and like don't consider any other elements in the story. And not that I'm, you know, defending someone who forced themselves on her. I think it was just. There's a lot. There's a lot more going on in this scene and in this episode, and I think Jess naysayers and haters just only want to center in on the fact that he did that. And it's like, yeah. yes, he did that, and yes, that was uncalled for, shitty dick move. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, don't agree with that at all. I just think that <laughs> there's a lot of other factors to consider here. Yeah. So um, there's definitely other things to consider. And like we said, I don't think Rory was upset. She was like, this is definitely not happening like this. Yeah. And then he was like, fine, whatever. Santa Claus can come down the chimney, whatever the fuck he says. So Rory, I think, in that point realizes that he's very upset. And I think she's very confused. And then when he snaps at her, that's when she gets even more upset. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know what I did. And at that point, I feel fucking sorry for Rory because she's like... Has Rory ever given him the impression, and this is an honest question, because I can't think of a scenario where Rory has given him the impression that she wouldn't be, she wouldn't listen to him 100% and be there for him. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of her frustration and a lot of her emotion in that, in that scene is like, I don't know what I've done wrong mm-hmm. because I've been here this whole time and you're clearly not talking to me and you're still upset with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then you can see instant regret when she starts crying in Jess's face. And he's like, fuck, you didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, he just, he can't verbalize it, Rory. Yeah. It's hard for him to admit like that. He, like, he wasn't, he wasn't chasing after, like, I think, how shall I word this without offending the court? Um, You're going to offend anyone anyway, so. <laughs> I think what was happening in in Rory's head at the moment was obviously that, like, she kept asking him, like, what's wrong? Like, you know, you, you're you're out of you're out of sorts this evening. Like, tell me what's wrong. Yeah. And obviously, like you said, n- never at any point in their relationship was she not willing to be there and listen and help him. Yeah. So and I that think was, Jeff by the way, some might argue that she was the only one that believed in him. Exactly. So Very what true. made you think that you couldn't go to her, you know? Yeah, I think he, and I think it was more or less just didn't feel comfortable going to anybody. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, as his girlfriend, you have to think like, you don't ever think that your boyfriend's not going to talk to you. Yeah. So I think that's where her frustration is coming from, too. Yes. So her frustration is 100% justified. And I think in that moment when she gets upset and, you know, runs out of the, runs out of the room and Jess says, you didn't do anything. Like, he's realizing in that moment, like, okay, now, like, he's realizing his dick moves. Yeah. And he's, re- like, he's realizing, like, she didn't do anything wrong. Like, 
she all like she's been there for me and she's been always been willing to help and stand up for me and it's just that he doesn't know how to communicate and doesn't know how to verbalize what he's feeling in that moment and all dean sees you know the elephant in the room mr dean mr forrester um he all all dean interprets in that moment is Jess made Rory cry, and Jess is now, ugh, whatever, figures. Like, Dean is completely making a bad situation 3,000 times worse. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the whole ending to the show was really ridiculous for me. Mm-hmm. And it was so cliche also. Mm-hmm. I think you want to talk about Lazy with um, the fucking episode title (laughs) some might argue and by some i mean me (laughs) that that scene was very lazy which like like, the party and she's crying and they're gonna fight over her yeah it's for sure it's for sure a cliche yeah i don't know i'm just Um, it's yeah it's definitely i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily agree with calling it lazy but it's definitely it's definitely a cliche of you know the two men fighting over the girl but I'm just, uh, I'm just like, oh. Yeah, but I think what I do enjoy about the, you know, Dean and Jess fighting it out, I think it's kind of a season's worth, maybe even longer, a season's worth of uh, unresolved tension just, uh, just coming out. And, like, it's strange that Dean's there with another girl, but is still fighting tooth and nail over him apparently having hurt Rory. Okay, well, that's a whole other issue that we're going to get into next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have a lot to say about that. But what I did want to say is, what's with all the men in this fucking show not being able to communicate and just communicating through their fists? I know. That's because, also a cliche. Because when Luke finds out that Christopher and Lorelai slept together, he drives all the way to Hartford just to punch Christopher in the face. Mm-hmm. And then they have their, like, standoff in the town square. <laughs> this is not healthy! No. And, like... I'm not going to say it's, it's, no, it's definitely not healthy. I do, I agree 100%. And I think it's just such a masculine cliche and Gilmore Girls loves to make use of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the more I watch the show, the more I get frustrated with um, the way men are depicted. Yes. Um, and I don't know if it's because it was on the WB, so a lot of people bought into those cliches. I don't know if it's like an early 2000s thing. I don't know what it is. But the more I watch the show, I find the women are always more layered than the men. Mm-hmm. And even when the men do have things that we can, um, you know, sympathize with in Jess's case, it always falls back on these cliches that we're just like, oh, there we go. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 frustrating when you care for the characters so much and they just kind of rely on these outdated tropes and yeah. cliches. That being said, it, it it worked for me when I was a kid. Well, a kid, yeah. you know. When I was younger, you're like, oh my god, they're fighting over her. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're an adult and you're like, Jesus, use your words. Yeah, but I do have to, I do have to say, I enjoy how there's a lot of like a lot of plot points coming to a head in yeah. this episode. Especially yeah. with Lane and Dave and Young Chu, who's like, you know, an afterthought. But he's like, Dave's obviously getting jealous to the point of not being willing 
to not maybe not hold up the lie anymore, but like not not willing to just like I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like he's just not willing to. I think what you're trying to say is he was questioning whether or not it was worth it. Yeah, it's just like he's wondering if it's worth it to keep up the charade to this extent. Yes. So I was going to bring up the same thing. I don't know. Dave is definitely frustrated in this episode, as I think anyone would be. I think he's been incredibly patient with her. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, um, there's only so much someone can take. Yeah. And you kind of have to wonder, like, where is my breaking point? Yeah, and it's funny you're saying that because the first I remember the first time I watched this episode, not knowing what happens in season four, mm-hmm. um, I thought maybe that, you know, Lane having that drunken phone call with Mrs. Kim, like, was this also going to be the moment where Mrs. Kim finds out all of the secrets that Lane keeps from her? Right. And it, it, like, is, is all of that going to blow up now? Like, to me, as the episode ends, you know, with just Jess walking away and leaving so much unsaid, and Lane is throwing up in the bushes. I feel like everything is just kind of falling apart. And you think in that moment, like, oh, no, like, is Jess gone now? Is Lane's home life ruined? Like, what's, you know, like, a lot of different plot points were just all coming to a head at once. And you think, what happens next? And it's more or less all fine by the next episode. But there's still an no, aftermath. I, I definitely think that if you're watching this for the first time, Mm-hmm. You're thinking, holy shit, there's so much to unpack here yeah. Count for this next episode because you don't know what's going to happen. Lane just spilled their guts. Mm-hmm. Jeff is upset. Dean and Lindsay, like, you're like, oh, my God. I mean, of course we know what happens next, and Dean and Lindsay are a whole other, ugh, but... Okay, but don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we talk about Lorelai? About what with Lorelai? I thought you were going to say, if we must. <laughs> oh, okay. If we must. Um, so here's... So as much as um, there's a lot going on in this episode with... On the teenage side, shall we say. Mm-hmm. I'm so over this Max plot point. Oh, yes. I think, I, honestly, when we, when we when we discussed it in the beginning, talking about the episode title, I'm like, I think that's all the airtime that Max deserves at this point. Like... She sees him at the booster club meeting. Mm-hmm. And then she tells Suki, like, oh my god, he didn't even look at me. Like, what did you want him to do? Throw down and consummate it on the table? You know, I think I and I just I just thought of this now as you were talking. Isn't it interesting how like when Lorelai's immature childish side comes out, it's always kind of at least, at least in this context, it's always kind of um, like brought about more or less either by her parents or by Max. Like Max is almost the um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like almost like the back burner to her immaturity. So it's like as soon as Max shows up, it's like, oh no, what do I think? You know, it's it kind of allows this ridiculous melodrama in Lorelai's head to play out for no reason. But here's my thoughts on this whole thing. Lorelai, it's very clear that when Lorelai is talking to Suki, it becomes very clear that she doesn't even know what she wants, right? No. She doesn't know what what her kissing Max means. She doesn't know... um, By the way, she's still seeing Alex. Is she? She confirms it in this episode. See, I didn't even even pick up on that because it was so insignificant. That's how dull he is. (laughs) 
But like poor, she's poor Charlie to, Swan. I know, poor thing. But she's talking to Suki, and she—it's very clear that she doesn't know what the fuck is going on. She doesn't know what the kiss means. She doesn't know if she wants to get back together with him. She doesn't know what she wants. Like she doesn't know, right? Mm-hmm. And yet she confronts him twice. And I'm so confused because I'm like, what do you want from him when you don't even know what you want? Yeah. You know, you're mad at him for playing it cool when you said you were playing it cool. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a teacher surrounded by other parents. What would you like him to do? Say, hey, remember that time we almost got married? <laughs> like, what is wrong? <laughs> and this is where I get so frustrated because I'm like, why did you? Ha-? I feel like at this point, they just, because Rory's life is kind of in shambles. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much going on on the Rory side of the show, they needed something to throw turmoil at Lorelai. Yeah. And it was just, it didn't work at all. I don't think, honestly, as time goes on, I don't think Max Medina works at all in any context. Like, we talked about it in season one and two. Like, I did not enjoy, I didn't enjoy Max as a character very much. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I did not enjoy Lorelai when she was with Max. And I think that's what I mean when every time Max shows up, it's like she goes back into this stupid, immature, childish like headspace and always is like, well, what do, well, he looked at me. Did he love me? Like, no, like Lorelai, like, sh- get your head out of your keister. Seriously, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, like, so. You literally. You you broke up with him. Mm-hmm. In season two, you have this whole existential crisis of what do I do? It it was done. Then yeah. he shows up again and what? Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't. It's like, it's like she thinks she has some sort of claim on him. Yeah, for sure. And I know, and I know when she, when he says that he was seeing somebody in California, she's like, of course, we were apart. That's fine. You can see somebody. But is it though? Because every time you see him, it's like, mine. Like, what? Yeah, and also, if we're we're talking about, like, outdated tropes and tired cliches, women thinking they have ownership over men that they dumped is also a tired trope. That's true, too, for sure. But it's just, I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So if you want to talk, if you want to talk lazy writing, I think um, bringing Max back in this context was just boring and not yeah. entertaining. And I don't know, I don't know what the goal was. I don't know. Like I said last episode, I don't know if they needed something. If they needed a placeholder because Luke is getting serious with Nicole. Mm-hmm. If they needed um, something to kind of balance out what's going on with Rory, like I don't know what the logic was behind this. Yeah. If they gave him another three episode arc and for what? Because after this, we don't see him again. Mm-hmm. So what? I don't know if they were like, if they were all in the writer's room saying, oh, well, we didn't give them enough closure. Maybe we should give them more closure. No, it's done. You beat it to death. Yeah. I think they were, I think the intention, like the original intention might have been to give Max and Lorelai some closure. And then it just kind of went in such a random direction. They're like, oh, well, okay, made for good drama. See ya. But did it make for good drama? It didn't. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Um, I have a plot hole to discuss. A plot hole. Please do tell. Okay. So we are made to believe 
that it's towards the end of the school year, right? Because graduation is imminent and prom is around the corner. Yeah. And, um, you know, all these things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. So when Luke says that he and Nicole are going skiing. True. Where the fuck are you going skiing in April or May? Mm, like... It's and it's the, the the implication is that they're going skiing locally, right? Because she comes to stay at his place so that they can drive there. By that's, the way, this episode aired April 29, two thousand three. That's Who's a good point. <laughs> I was gonna say like maybe they're going to Colorado or someplace where it's you know like the mountains where it's more or less always snowy. But I'm googling mm, skiing in May. Where- yeah. Many think, areas wind down their seasons by the end of March and most by mid-April. True. So where the fuck are you going skiing <laughs> in Connecticut? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't realize how lazy the writing in this episode was until you've pointed all these things out. I'm so annoyed. <laughs> Why don't you just say they're going to New York for a show or something? Or say think, nothing at all. Yeah, I know. I think we've I think we've both seen this episode way too many times that we've now just started I'm picking up on everything on such incessant needless potholes and it's like I'm googling fucking weather report. Oh <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I was just I was like so confused by that. The episode kept going on and I'm like skiing. Yeah, no, that's a good point though because I remember because I like I I just watched the episode in preparation for this recording. Yeah. And I remember them saying skiing now that you're now that you said it, but it didn't click. Then I'm like, yeah, it would have been springtime. Who the hell's going skiing in April or May? Practically May. It's a beautiful spring month in Connecticut with many sunny days and pleasant conditions. Oh average high temperatures in the warm 65 to 73. Who the fuck is skiing in a 73 degree temperature? Luke. Idiots. <laughs> um, Anything else you wanted to say for this episode? Um, in regards to the skiing, I think I'll just say that maybe in the Gilmore Girls realm, where it's more or less always fall or winter, except for a couple of summer-themed episodes, maybe they think that the audience is just in such a trance of fall and winter that they won't notice that we've <laughs> that they're okay, going skiing. Man, let's be honest. When you're watching the show, you're not focused on the fucking skiing, obviously. No. But I'm focused on everything when I'm analyzing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, that just bugged me. And just like how the, the layout of Stars Hollow makes no sense. So we, just, we can just add on top of that. Still makes no sense to me. Don't know what's <laughs> happening. We'll die not knowing what's happening. Pretty much. Or eventually I should go to the WB lot. Or the CW lot. And demand answers. And take a tour of the town where they thought. <laughs> And try and place things in my head. And find a guide and be like, excuse me, sir or madam. Where is this goddamn lake? <laughs> and the lake was supposed to be next to the school. And the school was once across the street from, from Luke's diner. So the, the lake, when Luke pushes Jess in, is shallow enough for him to stand. Yeah. But they need a rowboat when they go with the swans. Oh, my God. And it's super large. That's so true. Get out of here. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> it's one of those things where you, where you look at it for too long. There's so many things you can't unsee. Okay, we we're done. Just call this fucking episode, this podcast, Plot Holes of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> because as time goes on, we notice so much more. I'm very sorry if we've ruined the show for you. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm not. It needs you know to be. What? Yeah. I'm not sorry either. I take it back. I'm not sorry. Shall we update them on the bracket? We shall. Let me pull it up over here. So, um, for the original, we're, we're at round two now, right? Yes. And last week, we posted, where is it? So, um, Rory's birthday parties won over the graduation episode, Lorelai's graduation episode. Hello? Who's shocked? Not me. Oh, my God. Longest pause ever, Jeffrey. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not shocked. And then we have not yet gotten the results of 208 versus 608. But that will come in soon. So now we're going to pick another one, Jeffrey. Oh, great. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Are you sure? I think so. Okay. 421 fights and tights. Or 422, raincoats and recipes? Mm, 422. Oh, Jeffrey. Oh, Jeffrey. Just because, you know, it all kind of, comes, okay, it all kind of happened in, in, in episode 22 of season four. Okay, so here's the thing. I think a lot of people are going to say 422. But the reason I like 421 better... Oh, she, she has a thought. I have a thought, everyone. Shh. <laughs> the reason I like it better is because I I can remember watching it on television. Yeah. And there's so much that happens in 421 mm -hmm. that the whole episode is just jam-packed with you going, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Yeah. And so, um, like, climax-wise, I think that was the better episode. I'd probably agree. Otherwise, I think 422 was the better episode. Yeah. But we'll see what they say. It's a hard, it's a hard choice, I think. If you want to put it that harder. way. They're going to get harder. Oh, dear. Jeffrey, a, where can they find us? They can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. And on, on, Twitter. on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. And our email. And you can email us, send us love letters, um, you know, questions, concerns, comments. No hate mail, please. No. Um, no hate. Gilmore, <laughs> Gilmore um, We get so much hate mail in our DMs that whatever. We do. Anyway, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. So we will be posting this next round of the bracket. And uh, let me know. Do you like the climax of 21 better? Or the cliffhanger of 22 better? I think it's going to be a tough decision now that you've laid it out the way you have. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Yes, and we will see you soon. Bye.